I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Out here on the range, you can say whatever you like. But if you go around repeating the slogans, you can't expect anyone to listen. It's high noon for Tuesday, November 2nd, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcotour.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. Today is the 286th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history, and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. All of your completely fanciful, totally detached from reality viewpoints were so protected that you never, ever had to defend them with argument or logic or data or even proof of a functioning moral core. You could simply attack and censor anyone who disagreed. But now, now it's all collapsing. And even the mainstream channels are telling you things you don't want to hear. They're telling them to everybody. And it's forcing you to look like a person that doesn't know anything. And that's not how it was supposed to work. But sooner or later, there's a price to not knowing anything. And there's a price to lying about everything. It's a really strange feeling, isn't it, commies? And we're about to see this evening, or perhaps, unfortunately, over the next few days, Exactly what the temperature of the nation is right now relative to Joe Biden's communist agenda and illegitimate presidency versus America first populism. And the results for the communists do not seem like they will be pretty. Now, they will certainly cheat. And the real question is just how much they will cheat. I've talked over the last couple of weeks about whether or not it would be a good thing to win a close race in an election like this for the Republicans because it might give the rhinos and the Romneys out there the opportunity to say that there's nothing wrong with the elections. What the problem was in 2020 is a lack of participation. And that argument will actually be convincing to some people. Because they will just ignore the fact that Donald Trump added 12 million votes on to his 2016 total. And that is with the numbers that we are being given by the mainstream media and by the global communist uniparty. The numbers they accept 
have Donald Trump going up nearly 20% over his vote in 2016. But we're supposed to imagine that the problem was turnout. And the RNC will tell us, well, hey, as long as we're watching, as long as everyone's participating, well, they can't cheat. Our elections are just fine. But we all know that's not true. And today a Virginia judge is allowing the communists to accept absentee in and mail-in ballot applications that do not have the voters' last four digits of their social security number outside the black letter law for Virginia elections, very much like what we saw in 2020. And they will cheat. There is no doubt about that. It's only about the level. And can that level be overcome by flooding the polls with American voters? Hopefully it can. All right. I'm on your side, obviously, about the result. I don't want Terry McAuliffe to be Virginia governor. Glenn Youngkin would be much better. I have no qualms about that at all. And I hope that people do go out and vote because that's what President Trump wants. That's what many of the leaders on our side of the movement want. And I am happy to defer to their judgment on this and see what happens. Because it is extremely important to stop this communist takeover wherever we can. But I wonder what the real turnout will be like. And I wonder if we will ever have an opportunity to know what the real numbers are. The Democrats cannot possibly withstand a massive loss in this election tonight in Virginia. And I wonder what will happen in New Jersey. It's strange to me that we haven't heard all that much about that election. You know, they say that Phil Murphy somehow has a wider margin over Jack Ciatarelli, I think is how you say his name, or Ciatarelli. Probably the second one. Fine Italiano. But if the Democrats got a number like 60-40, 65-35, something in that range, it would be pretty obvious to the country that there is a mass movement against this agenda. They can't allow that to happen. I don't see a way that we are going to get a result like that, even if that was an accurate interpretation of the Virginia voting populace. And we are supposed to believe that the Republicans in Virginia are playing from behind in some way because Joe Biden won there in November 2020 by 10%. That's what we're told. There is a significant blue advantage in Virginia. It is a solid blue state, a dark blue state. But we are also told that Joe Biden's agenda is widely popular, even though Glenn Youngkin is, according to the Real Clear Politics Average, 1.7 points ahead in the polling. The last few polls have been Yunkin plus two, Yunkin plus two, Yunkin plus eight in that Fox News poll. And then there's some older polling from 10 days ago and beyond that shows McAuliffe with a small margin. So if the 10 points from last fall is to be believed and the one to two points advantage for Yunkin right now is to be believed, then we've had a 12-point shift in one year. 
And obviously, after tonight, we will not have to rely on the polling and we'll see how much that shift really has been. The Democrats may have the ability to pull out a close win for Terry McAuliffe and try to convince the citizens of Virginia that they actually voted for what we see the Democrat Party to finally be, which is a bunch of communists who are trying to brainwash children. And I know that sounds like the thing you're not supposed to say. It sounds dangerous. Why is he using those terms like brainwash? Well, because that's what they're doing. That's why I'm using the term. If you're intentionally convincing black kids that they're oppressed and white kids that they're oppressors and all kids that their gender is a mystery, including to them, but not to you, not to the teachers. The teachers will always know, hey, hey, little buddy, ah, you might be a girl. You might want to check. Are you a girl? Have you ever tried being a girl? Well, what does that mean? Oh, well, we don't know. Why don't you dress up like a girl and find out? But what does dressing like a girl mean? Oh, well, that means you put on a dress instead of pants. Wait, I thought women wore pants. Well, yeah, they do sometimes, but that's like women. You're a boy considering whether or not you might be a girl. So just try wearing a dress and some makeup. We'll put you in a bunch of pink and then just yeah, see how it feels. And if you like that better, well, then you're a girl. And one of these days, we'll work out an action plan where your homework is to go home and tell your parents that you've always been a girl. Truthfully, I cannot imagine what that process would have been like for me at eight years old. I would have been like, hey, what are you talking about? And then I probably would have been in detention. (laughs) But it seems pretty clear that Virginians, aside from those real dyed-in-the-wool commies, are not big fans of this. They're not big fans of the Clinton lackey, Terry McAuliffe, who is corrupt as hell. They're not big fans of Joe Biden's communist agenda. And they're not big fans of constantly being lied to and being shamed for telling the truth and good for them. But unless these polls have improved considerably from the last five years, and there's absolutely no reason to believe that they have then we can expect these polls to be oversampling Democrats or adjusting to bias toward Democrats the entire time. And so maybe we can assume that Youngkin is up four or five or six points and not the two that they have listed right now. And that would be a 16-point swing. But that might not be accurate in its representation of the tenor of this race in Virginia either. They're talking about how turnout for the early vote was massive and the mail-in vote was massive. We know for a fact that the in-person vote today is massive in favor of the Republican Glenn Youngkin. That's what the early reports out of Virginia are saying. And knowing that, you can begin to understand why they are so keen on early voting and on mail-in balloting so that people don't actually have a visual representation in their minds of what the election was like. When everybody turns out on election day to vote in person, it's pretty easy to see where the momentum is and whose voters are showing up. 
So all of that's going on today. The episode's going up a little late today because I was watching what I could of a panel that Ron Johnson is hosting in the Senate about the COVID vaccines and vaccine injuries. I caught the last, I don't know, 40 minutes. And there were some genuinely heartbreaking tales from people who had gotten the vaccine. And these were the couple I saw were healthcare workers. I think one was a nurse and one was a physician, a surgeon. And they were breaking down in tears, talking about how their lives and their livelihoods have been ruined by the vaccine and the injury the vaccine caused. And it's fantastic that Ron Johnson got this out there and did this panel so that people could actually witness this. It's sad that the media is not covering this stuff all the time. In a different age, the journalists out there would be making their careers and winning Pulitzer Prizes for bringing down these pharma companies. That's where the real story is. And instead, what these pathetic communist state media journalist hacks are doing is they're shilling for the pharma companies. They're trying to protect the pharma companies because the pharma companies fund their news. And one of the key points in all of this was that if the vaccines don't work like vaccines and they don't prevent transmission, we know they don't. They don't prevent you being infected. We know they don't. They don't prevent serious illness and they don't prevent death really at all. Then there's absolutely no reason to mandate them. And the next step after that is beginning to wonder, well, why are they trying to do it then? And that's where all the answers are. And somehow people still aren't asking those questions enough. I, my friend who always tells me to listen to certain episodes of Joe Rogan had me listen to the Alex Berenson episode and I'm 90% of the way through it. I am not a fan of Alex Berenson. I've said that on this podcast before. I think he does some decent work and he is always about six months to a year behind. There was one moment near the end of the episode. I think it was probably with 45 minutes left. The episode's like three and a half hours long. Where Joe Rogan talks about how a friend of his has gotten COVID three times. And Alex Berenson was surprised because repeat infections are very rare. And Rogan was like, well, yeah, I mean, okay, but my friend actually got it three times. And Alex Berenson's answer to him was, oh, really? That's, uh, it was... PCR confirmed like, Hey, Alex Berenson, why aren't you talking about how PCR tests yield false positives at the cycle threshold being used? That's the response. The response isn't, Oh, wow. They tested positive three times. It was confirmed by the PCR test. Genius. What a genius. It's so funny, man, listening to these, uh, you know, left, left of center mainstream sources. Joe Rogan still calls himself a left winger. I don't know what he thinks that means, honestly, but I guess he shills for the left wing narrative enough that maybe he is just by virtue of that. And these people sit there talking back and forth, saying a lot of really true things, by the way. 
I'm not trying to completely dismiss either of those people. It's just incredible to witness them making these arguments and then throwing their hands up in the air like, yeah, I don't know. It's a mystery. Why are they doing it? I can't understand why Fauci's been wrong so much. Can't understand why they're talking about vaccine mandates when they know that the vaccines aren't really vaccines. It's really strange. Gosh, what a mystery. Hey, man, it's not a mystery. It's corruption and compromise. It's been that way since day one. Everything they have suggested has been wrong. And they talk about how, you know, Fauci and Walensky and the rest of the very professional public health professionals, the experts, were saying initially that you won't get COVID if you take the vaccine. And then you won't get sick if you take the vaccine and you can't spread it if you take the vaccine and you won't get really sick if you take the vaccine and you won't die if you take the vaccine. Turns out absolutely none of those are true. Just today, a passenger on a plane from Germany to Turkey landed fully vaxxed, dead, dead on the plane. What could it be? Oh, he was infected with COVID. Don't worry. They tested him. He was infected with COVID. So it must have been COVID. COVID just killed him. Dropped dead right in the plane. Crazy, huh? Crazy. It's been two years that COVID has existed in the world. No one has died mid-flight from COVID the whole time. And then it turns out now, ha, new symptom. Who knew? Not the science community. If you ask them, what are they going to say? Well, you know, it's a new, it's a new virus. And the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the science, uh, yeah, the science, it, uh, always evolves. Yeah, it's just changing. <laughs> it must, must just be the science changing. Oh, uh, the vaccine? No, 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 no. It's not the vaccine. Don't be silly. The vaccine can't do anything that would make you drop dead right on the spot. Oh, so you're saying that the vaccine doesn't make anyone drop dead right on the spot. But it, it has done that. So the science is evolving on COVID and it's still COVID. The man died, dropped dead mid-flight from COVID. Got it. New symptom, new reaction, must be a more serious COVID. Well, you don't want that COVID. Don't want that sort of COVID where you could just drop dead. Better get the vaccine because it definitely wasn't the vaccine that caused this man to drop dead up in the sky. And then, of course, Berenson, clueless as he is, goes into a thing about how he got banned from Twitter and how he's thinking about suing them for character defamation and for coordinating with government groups to censor him, violating his First Amendment rights. And he thinks he's coming out with this brand new argument. Hey, Alex Berenson, I made that argument a year ago, you idiot. And then he has this vague understanding that Trump has filed a similar lawsuit. But Berenson, without reading Trump's lawsuit, and that's obvious, declares that he thinks he actually has a stronger case than Donald Trump's case. And it seemed like he was actually only understanding the fact that Donald Trump had filed for a preliminary injunction that would have put him back on the platforms. And his assumption was that Trump just wants to be back on Twitter. The guy is 
absolutely clueless about what happens outside of the party of false decorum bubble, which is why his work is so frustrating and largely so bad. You can't be six months or nine months or 12 months behind this narrative and still be cutting edge. That's not possible. And you also can't know all the things he knows and be able to say all the things he says and be a smart person and not take the next step, realizing that these people might be coordinating their actions against you. But he can't say that because he's a very serious guy and he would never want to be thought of as a conspiracy theorist. I mean, they're already attacking him in a thousand ways. They already banned him off Twitter. They also call him the wrongest man about COVID. But he just doesn't want to be thought of with all of us. He doesn't want to taint himself with a hint of MAGA. And it's incredible. Like these people are so desperate to hold on to what they think of as the reputation of a serious person that they refuse to actually be serious people. Alex Berenson possesses within his brain a thousand different ways that the government and the public health community are lying to the American public, not wrong about stuff, actively lying. And he still can't take the next step and think. Well, these people might be liars. He like just hints at it. Oh, well, you know, maybe maybe the 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 pharma companies have uh, a lot of money. Maybe there's a, a profit motive uh, for some of these people, except for he actually sounds like uh, a cross between Kermit the Frog and the NPR ladies sketch on Saturday Night Live like 20 years ago. He, he sounds like he always thinks he's relaying like such edgy information that he could get in trouble for it. He tells it to Joe Rogan like as if it's a secret through the microphone that goes out to five million people. It's like he's the Pied Piper of ignorant America. Hey, find all of the overeducated idiots in the country who don't know anything and can't explain anything. And they're going to need a guy to represent their factual viewpoint and lead them out of the darkness. Huh? Let's get Alex Berenson. He knows stuff from a year ago. That's our path to survival. Let's go to the back of the line and follow the guys back there. And Hey, listen, commies. I know that even Alex Berenson is a little bit upsetting for you, but what should really be upsetting is the fact that you don't have anyone telling you the truth in a way that you can adjust your life to guide yourself out of this morass. These people aren't a little wrong or a little behind. They are nowhere close to the cutting edge but they imagine that they are because no one they know has been affected by these situations at all. And it is so easy to stay within the party of false decorum narrative if you are never pressed to go outside it. And that's what we're talking about. All of these conversations happen between people who have not been pushed to the edge or even close to it. And hey, come. If you are getting to the point where you find yourself nearing that edge and you are trying to figure out how you're going to take your next step, I suggest 
that you change directions completely and migrate back to America. And to do that, you're going to have to leave that central narrative behind. Okay, all those stupid and evil communist ideas that these people hint might not be totally correct. You got to realize they're not correct at all. Okay, there is something being done to society. This isn't a series of random errors. It's not people with multiple motivations. It's people whose presented motivations do not mirror their actual motivations at all. Alex Berenson is doing a worse job of work that actual experts in the field did months and months and months ago. And he still hasn't caught up because he gets told by someone, oh, you can't listen to that. Oh, you can't listen to that. Those people are conspiracy theorists. Oh, what are you going to go full MAGA on me now? And he's like, no, no, I'll, I'll, I'll never do that. But you see, the thing is, you see, the thing is, Anthony Fauci, uh, he, uh, he, uh, he told us back in the spring Getting the vaccine would would make it impossible to get COVID. And it turns out, it turns out he was wrong. Hey, Alex Berenson, he wasn't wrong, you idiot. He wasn't wrong. He was lying. You understand? And when you realize that the experts are lying to you, you stop needing to incorporate their narrative into the proper response, you fucking moron. And hey. If I'm going a little too hard for you commies, it is what it is. We're in a dire situation. You go ahead and watch that Ron Johnson panel. I'll post the link. I've already posted the link, actually, but I'll post it again in the info stream. You can watch the thing or you can listen to it. Two hours of people telling you that every single bit of the coronavirus narrative, as it's been told to you, is absolutely wrong. And what will your reaction be? Will your reaction be? To think that I am just bullshitting you. I'm a conspiracy theorist. Oh, I'm saying wrong things. Oh, he's he's not being totally responsible with his language. Ha, <laughs> okay. Isn't it funny that you would rather listen to people who are responsible with their language than people who are correct and giving you actionable advice? What would make you feel safer? Being told that the vaccine is going to save your life or that you must take it because of responsibility to your friends and neighbors or someone telling you to stock up on ivermectin just in case. I think we all know the answer to that. So why would you choose the person who is representing responsible language while being wrong? Your life might be on the line depending on who you listen to. And you're making that life or death choice based on responsibility of language. Do you see what I mean about the party of false decorum? You got to stop. And if you're ready to stop, migrate back down to the range. Become a redeemable communist. We will welcome you with open arms. Just make amends with all the people you have shamed and bullied and censored and tried to get fired from their jobs. We will welcome you. We want you to be folded back into the project of America, of human liberty and self-governance. And with that, I would love to extend a warm Tuesday welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there.
Hello, commies! Welcome to the show. I'm not going to use responsible language. Why? Because I don't care. Okay? I don't care if you think my language is irresponsible. Refute my point or do not. I am not interested in sounding like a very careful expert. And I wrote about this when I was writing about Mike Lindell a few months ago before the cyber symposium. Mike Lindell is not a voice that a lot of people can hear and listen to and take seriously if you are inculcated into the party of false decorum. They are conditioned to think that Mike Lindell is stupid because he doesn't sound the right way. But Don Lemon is smart because he does. Now, Mike Lindell can tell you everything a person could possibly know about election fraud in the United States of America. And he can do that while running a an extremely successful manufacturing business. Don Lemon sticks his hands down his pants at a bar and then puts them under a guy's nose and then sounds like a complete moron on CNN every night. That's who Don Lemon is, but he's to be taken seriously. Likewise, we are told that Joe Biden, a man with a middling at best academic career that he lies about, multiple presidential campaigns where he forged his speeches copied other people's speeches, was mentored by a legitimate Klan leader for decades and cannot speak or think incomplete sentences, represents the adults in the room, a return to normalcy, responsible governance, intelligent ideas. But Donald Trump, Donald Trump doesn't talk the right way. So Donald Trump represents all of the stupid people in America and all of their stupid, anachronistic, racist, homophobic, Islamophobic, xenophobic, phobic, phobic, phobic ideas, and he should be ignored. And that's what this brand of faux intellectualism convinces us to go along with. Now, that stuff is starting to break up this morning in Newsweek of all places. This is from Martin Kaldorf and Jay Bhattacharya. Kaldorf is an epidemiologist, biostatistician, and professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. Bhattacharya is a professor of health policy at Stanford School of Medicine. Okay, so these aren't conspiracy theorists on the internet, and they speak very responsibly. The headline is, How Fauci Fooled America. When the pandemic hit, America needed someone to turn to for advice. The media and public naturally looked to Dr. Anthony Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, an esteemed laboratory immunologist and one of President Donald Trump's chosen COVID advisors. Unfortunately, Dr. Fauci got major epidemiology and public health questions wrong. Reality and scientific studies have now caught up with him. Here are the key issues. Natural immunity. By pushing vaccine mandates, Dr. Fauci ignores naturally acquired immunity among the COVID recovered, of which there are more than 45 million in the United States. And we should note, assuming the tests are correct and that the data is correct 
And we can't assume that. But I'm not trying to take away from their point. We can talk about the data as it exists right now. Just in the back of your head, you got to know who knows. Honestly, who knows? You cannot use a test at a level that yields upwards of 90% false positives and expect that your data are all going to be correct. But back to the article. Mounting evidence indicates that natural immunity is stronger and longer lasting than vaccine-induced immunity. In a study from Israel, the vaccinated were 27 times more likely to get symptomatic COVID than the unvaccinated who had recovered from a prior infection. We have known about natural immunity from disease at least since the Athenian plague in 430 BC. Pilots, truckers, and longshoremen know about it, and nurses know about it better than anyone. Under Fauci's mandates, hospitals are firing heroic nurses who recovered from COVID they contracted while caring for patients. With their superior immunity, they can safely care for the oldest and frailest patients with even lower transmission risk than the vaccinated. Protecting the elderly. While anyone can get infected, there is more than a thousandfold difference in mortality risk between the old and the young. After more than 700,000 reported COVID deaths in America, we now know that lockdowns failed to protect high-risk older people. When confronted with the idea of focused protection on the vulnerable, Dr. Fauci admitted he had no idea how to accomplish it, arguing that it would be impossible. That may be understandable for a lab scientist, but public health scientists have presented many concrete suggestions that would have helped had Fauci and other officials not ignored them. And it's funny that Fauci has responses like this. This is me talking right now, not the article. Because what's impossible is locking down an entire nation. Okay, that is a theoretical dream that was only disseminated so that rock dumb child brained communists would be like, yeah, oh, if, if we all just stay home, then the disease can't go anywhere. Okay. Are we all staying home? Well, no, we need essential workers out there and we need somebody to deliver my Uber Eats orders and we need my maid and my gardener to come. (laughs) What am I going to do? Just let my grass get long? No, I just will make sure that I never, ever speak to my gardener and he's going to wear a mask all the time. And so if my gardener wears masks and never, ever talks to me, then he can still go out and do his job and still keep me safe. Well, hey, 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 uh, Kami, uh, what is it that keeps the, uh, the gardener safe? His mask. <laughs> I thought we were all supposed to be locked down. Well, we can't lock everybody down. Okay. So then why is Fauci recommending an impossible solution while saying that protecting elderly people, which is a possible solution, is impossible. That would seem like a contradiction. People who are confined to the party of false decorum, they're confined to the bubble of responsible speech, can't say anything about that. They can't say, well, hey, a inconsistency like that would make me actually doubt Anthony Fauci's intelligence, uh, responsibility, and motivations. Can't say that, though, because you'll get banned off the Internet and then you can't say other things that are six or 12 or 18 months behind. Right. Alex Berenson got banned off the Internet anyway, and now he uses Substack as Twitter. Could he have gone to get her and backed up the entirety of his Twitter before he got banned? Yup. Why didn't he? Oh, because then he would have that taint of MAGA 
and then he will no longer be a serious person. So rather than facing that horrible consequence, he just decides to become an unserious person on his own. That's how brave people solve problems. Don't you get it? Back to the article. What can we do now to minimize COVID mortality? Current vaccination efforts should focus on reaching people over 60 who are neither COVID recovered nor vaccinated, including hard to reach, less affluent people in rural areas and inner cities. Instead, Dr. Fauci has pushed vaccine mandates for children, students, and working age adults who are already immune, all low risk populations, causing tremendous disruption to labor markets and hampering the operation of many hospitals. That is so interesting. These two obvious experts in this very field are telling you right now that Anthony Fauci is doing the exact opposite of what a responsible person would do. And while doing the exact opposite of what a responsible person would do, he is failing to consider the downsides of the advice he is giving. This reflects a pattern that Anthony Fauci has shown throughout the entire duration of this period. It also just so happens that Anthony Fauci's advice is directly in line with Joe Biden's communist agenda that he certainly did not think up on his own. And it's in line with the World Economic Forum's global communist agenda. And it's in line with the COP26 environmental agenda. And it's in line with the Green New Deal agenda. Really, it's in line with the entirety of the global communist movement. And yet, to suggest that that might be why he's doing it is an example of irresponsible speech. So just know that I never said that. I don't want to get in trouble. Back to the article. School closures. Schools are major transmission points for influenza, but not for COVID. While children do get infected, their risk for COVID death is minuscule, lower than their already low risk of dying from the flu. You got that? Anyone who's listening to my show for the first time and didn't already know this for a year and a half now. And by the way, the information, that information that I just read to you, that information that is so shocking, you think it must be wrong. That has been a truth in the world for a year and a half. It is your fault for not knowing it. It is not my fault for telling you something that you don't think is right. I'll repeat it just so that it penetrates the membranes of all the tiny communist child brains out there. Their risk for COVID death is minuscule, lower than their already low risk of dying from the flu. Throughout the 2020 spring wave, Sweden kept daycare and schools open for all of its 1.8 million children ages 1 to 15, with no masks, testing, or social distancing. The result? Zero COVID deaths among children and a COVID risk to teachers lower than the average of other professions. In fall 2020, most European countries followed suit with similar results. Considering the devastating effects of school closures on children, Dr. Fauci's advocacy for school closures may be the single biggest mistake of his career. Of course, I don't agree with that last part. Because Anthony Fauci has 50 of those. But how is it that something I was writing about 18 months ago 
is now okay for the experts to say, and now okay for the party of false decorum to start incorporating into the way they think about this disease. There has been no point at which that has not been true. COVID does not pose a serious risk to children, nor does the school environment pose a serious risk of transmission and spread and outbreaks. How do we know that? Because there haven't been any for the entire time. And back to that Rogan episode, there was a bit where they talked about this and Alex Berenson shared that information. Not very strongly. He was kind of afraid to say that children aren't at risk of COVID. But Rogan was like, what? That can't be true. My child gave it to my wife. Therefore, children are at a significant risk of outbreak. This is the guy who pretends that if somebody can explain something to him in a really long, complicated explanation, it must be true. But the child thing, all the data in the world, millions and millions and millions and millions of kids. Now that doesn't matter. His kid got sick, gave it to his wife. Now everybody's dead. Oh, wait, nobody's dead. Back to the article. Masks. The gold standard of medical research is randomized trials, and there have now been two on COVID masks for adults. You got that? Masks are our number one mitigation strategy. Masks are so important that it is not worth studying them at all. Two studies, two studies on masks and COVID that were randomized controlled trials. Every single other thing the CDC and Anthony Fauci and everyone else have told you about masks was not derived from a randomized controlled trial, which would, by their own terms, make it junk science. Do they care when it's their initiative that would be hurt by telling the truth? Of course not. For children, there is no solid scientific evidence that masks work. You got that? That's two world-renowned experts saying that, and they've been saying it for a long time. A Danish study found no statistically significant difference between masking and not masking when it came to coronavirus infection. In a study in Bangladesh, the 95% confidence interval showed that masks reduced transmission between 0% and 18%. Hence, masks are either of zero or limited benefit. There are many more critical pandemic measures that Dr. Fauci could have emphasized, such as better ventilation in schools and hiring nursing home staff with natural immunity. But he didn't. Isn't that interesting? He didn't. Why didn't he? Why were masks such an important thing? Well, because you can see a mask when you go out and you see everybody in masks. Well, then you can understand that the disease is very, very deadly and very dangerous. And if those people aren't wearing masks, then they don't care about anyone. And that means that we can hate them. And it also means we can shame them and persecute them. We can try to do terrible things to them. We can report them to their jobs. This person's trying to kill my grandmother. But you can't talk about it like that. You can't talk about it like that. You got to say, you got to say, well, hey, one of those studies showed that maybe there was some chance of reduction. So better safe than sorry. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, better safe than sorry. It's also amusing that they didn't bring up any prior studies of masks in terms of viral spread, okay? As if COVID is somehow so different. Nonetheless, we were told that the most important thing we could do was mask up. Something that by the randomized controlled trials 
has a very good chance of being 0% effective, right? And let's even assume that there is some chance, some outside chance that the mask may have stopped spread somewhere in the world one time. I doubt that's true, but let's say it's possible. The chance that they are 0% effective means that the thing we were told to do the most was something that the people telling us knew might be 0% effective. And then the argument for that mitigation step was better safe than sorry. And that's the least you could do. Well, yeah, it really definitely is the least you could do. Doing something that has zero positive benefit, that has never, ever been proven to have any positive benefit, is definitely the least you could do. But all the people in the party of false decorum, the people whose lives weren't actually affected by any of this situation at all, they didn't lose their jobs, they worked from home. Their kids didn't have to deal with the school lockdowns or any of that. They sent their kids to private school. They got private tutors. They traveled, but they realized, hey, the mask is the least you can do. So I'm going to go with that. I'm going to do the thing that is the least possible thing I could do. And it has no benefit, no recorded benefit anywhere ever. That's the move. That's the move. Put the mask on and then force everyone else to wear it, including children, by the way. Got to tie it onto their heads. Yep. Go ahead. Got to tape it onto their heads. Yep. Teachers have been doing that, too. Literally stunting children's emotional and intellectual growth, their ability to develop as humans. But we don't care. Better safe than sorry. It's the least you can do. Contact tracing. For some infectious diseases such as Ebola and syphilis, contact tracing is critically important. For a commonly circulating viral infection such as COVID, it was a hopeless waste of valuable public health resources that did not stop the disease. True. But what did it do? It drove us down a path where we were willing, certain people were willing to allow themselves to be traced, to join an app that would tell them if someone else in their vicinity might have been exposed to COVID. And we were meant to believe that that was normal. Collateral public health damage. A fundamental public health principle is that health is multidimensional. The control of a single infectious disease is not synonymous with health. As an immunologist, Dr. Fauci failed to properly consider and weigh the disastrous effects lockdowns would have on cancer detection and treatment, cardiovascular disease outcomes, diabetes care, childhood vaccination rates, mental health and opioid overdoses, to name a few. Americans will live with and die from this collateral damage for many years to come. In private conversations, most of our scientific colleagues agree with us on these points. While a few have spoken up, why are not more doing so? And that is a very awkward way to write that sentence. Well, some tried but failed. Others kept silent when they saw colleagues slandered and smeared in the media or censored by big tech. Some are government employees who are barred from contradicting official policy. Oh, gosh, they are so brave. Got to keep that job. Got to keep that job. Many are afraid of losing positions or research grants. Ah, research grants. What a noble scientific community we have. Each and every one of these little laboratory dorks thinks their research is going to save humanity. Therefore, they can't tell the truth 
about things they know. Otherwise, their research might get shut down and then humanity might suffer horrible consequences like the horrible consequences we are suffering from them having never spoken up. So noble. Hug a scientist. Hug your local scientist. They are so noble. Many are afraid of losing positions or research grants, aware that Dr. Fauci sits on top of the largest pile of infectious disease research money in the world. Most scientists are not experts on infectious disease outbreaks. Were we, say, oncologists, physicists, or botanists, we would probably also have trusted Dr. Fauci. Well, that's kind of a problem, guys. The evidence is in. Governors, journalists, scientists, university presidents, hospital administrators, and business leaders can continue to follow Dr. Anthony Fauci or open their eyes. After 700,000 plus COVID deaths and the devastating effects of lockdowns, it is time to return to basic principles of public health. Wouldn't it have been great if everybody just agreed to those principles a year and a half ago? And don't get me wrong. I do respect these people. I respect what they're doing with the, uh, I think it's called the Brownstone Institute. You should look that up. They have a ton of resources that utterly obliterate the mainstream COVID narrative. And I believe that they were both signees in the uh, Great Barrington Accord, which was, gosh, now over a year ago. But honestly, this is still the very, very responsible version of the truth. You cannot be a public health expert and be wrong about all of these things. All right. Being wrong, this wrong, as wrong as Anthony Fauci has been, should be absolutely discrediting. No one should listen to this fool. But letting Anthony Fauci get away with this and doing nothing more than simply labeling him as incompetent, his answers as wrong is to excuse a crime against humanity. Okay. There is a pattern to these decisions. The pattern is knowable. It is understandable. And it all speaks to a higher motivation than public health. And the fact that our expert class is still afraid to say that is a discredit to them. But what else is our government public health community up to right now? Well, Representative Thomas Massey put out a Twitter thread, and this is from Saturday. What do roadkill and a CDC-sponsored COVID paper have in common? By the third day, they're so picked apart, they're unrecognizable. This CDC director is shameless for fabricating junk science with findings that stand in stark contrast to every credible academic study. And he is retweeting a tweet from the CDC Linked to this tweet, new CDC study among adults hospitalized with symptoms similar to COVID-19, unvaccinated people who had COVID-19 recently were five times more likely to test positive for COVID-19 than people who were recently fully vaccinated. And they have a graphic. Unvaccinated people with a previous infection were five times more likely to have a positive COVID-19 test compared to vaccinated people. And they have two little footnotes for that, just so you know exactly what they're saying. One of them is COVID-19-like illness hospitalizations 90 to 179 days after prior infection or full vaccination. And the other is 
the vaccinated people are people who have received two doses of an mRNA vaccine and no previous infection. So those are the groups that they're comparing. Massey, Massey's thread goes on. CDC uses this paper to make the absurd, never before claimed and already unproven assertion that the vaccine is five times more effective than natural immunity at preventing people from testing positive for COVID testing, not symptoms, death or hospitalization testing. And let's remember, by the way, that the testing standards for people who were vaccinated were changed by the CDC. The cycle threshold was lowered for them so that they could eliminate some measure of the false positive outcomes that the normal cycle threshold for the PCR test yields. Massey's thread goes on. Let's start with one obvious flaw, which the authors recognize but gloss over. Most of the few cases they characterize as reinfections are probably long COVID. They made no effort to verify recovery or that the infections were genetically unique. They just waited 90 days. The irony of this study is when they went looking for people hospitalized with COVID-like symptoms, they found over 6,000 who were vaccinated and only 1,000 who were unvaccinated and had a prior COVID infection. I thought they told us 99% of hospitalizations were unvaccinated. This six-page paper has over 50 authors. That's an average of nine authors per page. Half a dozen of them disclose conflicts of interest with pharma. But is working for CDC categorized as a conflict of interest? CDC Gov was given a billion dollars from Congress to promote the vaccines. In their data, why does the number of vaccinated people hospitalized cor correlate negatively with time since vaccine? Could initial hospitalizations be due to vaccine adverse effects or due to a temporarily weakened immune system from the vaccine or possibly just selection bias? And the answers to all those questions are yes, it absolutely could be that. Rochelle Walensky's mischaracterization of the paper conceals what CDC's original tortured summary exposes. The study is junk because it only considers those with prior infection who ended up in the hospital, not the ones who didn't. Natural immunity helps prevent hospitalization. And the study itself has a large paragraph near the end where it says the findings in this report are subject to at least seven limitations. First, although this analysis was designed to compare two groups with different sources of immunity, patients might have been misclassified. If SARS-CoV-2 testing occurred outside of the network partners, medical facilities, or if vaccinated persons are less likely to seek testing, some positive SARS-CoV-2 test results might have been missed. And thus some patients classified as vaccinated and previously uninfected might also have been infected. In addition, despite the high specificity of COVID-19 vaccination status from these data sources, misclassification is possible. Second, the AOR could not be further stratified by time since infection or vaccination because of sparse data and limited ability to control for residual confounding that could be magnified within shorter intervals. And AOR is adjusted odds ratio. The AOR that did not adjust for time might also be subject to residual confounding, particularly related to waning of both types of immunity. Third, selection bias might be possible if vaccination status influences likelihood of testing and if previous infection influences the likelihood of vaccination. 
Previous work from the Vision Network did not identify systemic bias in testing by vaccination status based on data through May 2021. Fourth, residual confounding might exist because the study did not measure or adjust for behavioral differences between the comparison groups that could modify the risk of outcome. Fifth, these results might not be generalizable to non-hospitalized patients who have different access to medical care or different healthcare-seeking behaviors, particularly outside of the nine states covered. Sixth, the statistical model incorporated the use of a weighted propensity score method, which is subject to biases in estimates or standard errors if the propensity score model is misspecified. Numerous techniques were used to reduce potential suboptimal specification of the model, including but not limited to including a large set of covariates for machine learning estimation of propensity scores, including covariates in both regression and propensity models, ensuring large sample sizes and checking stability of weights, and conducting secondary analyses to assess robustness of results. Finally, the study assessed COVID-19 mRNA vaccines only. Findings should not be generalized to the Janssen vaccine. So the study itself doesn't say what the CDC director purports it to say. Nonetheless, the study exists to support what she is saying. And this is the sort of flimsy study and flimsy data that people like Rochelle Walensky and like Anthony Fauci have been going with the entire time. Their mask studies are similar to this, too. They are not randomized controlled trials, and there are tons of reasons to believe that they are not accurate at all. The director of the CDC is saying, ignore those studies from Israel showing how much stronger natural immunity is. Ignore those completely. Because we have this paper that we can misrepresent to you, and we are going to tell you from our authoritative body, we are an authoritative source, we're going to tell you that the vaccine immunity could be, could be, Five times stronger. Do the real world results bear that out? Not even close. This is from Becker News today. This is just this afternoon. Whistleblower exposes Pfizer for falsifying data in COVID vaccine trials used to justify mandates. And this is actually a paper that appears in the British Medical Journal, BMJ. A whistleblower has come forward with damning revelations about how vaccine maker Pfizer falsified data and manipulated clinical trials. Brooke Jackson, a former clinical trial auditor who was fired after raising her concerns, came forward with inside information and documented evidence about Pfizer's operations in a stunning new BMJ investigation conducted by Paul Thacker. The disturbing report sends up red flags that the FDA and Pfizer are engaging in massive fraud against the American people to justify vaccine mandates. The Pfizer BioNTech vaccine was, quote, fully authorized with much fanfare by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration in August, despite liability shields and other qualifiers making such an endorsement highly misleading. The Biden administration would seize on the announcement to issue an executive order for federal vaccine mandates. The FDA would go on to authorize the vaccines for children between five and 11 years old in late October, despite the objections of numerous medical experts. But the clinical trials documentation that Pfizer submitted to the FDA has now been exposed as riddled with clinical trial misconduct and data reporting errors, according to BMG's investigation. In autumn of 2020, Pfizer's chairman and chief executive, Albert Bourla, released an open letter to the billions of people around the world who were in 
investing their hopes in a safe and effective COVID-19 vaccine to end the pandemic, the report said. As I've said before, we are operating at the speed of science, Borla wrote, ahead of the FDA's authorization of the Pfizer vaccines. But for researchers who were testing Pfizer's vaccine at several sites in Texas during that autumn, speed may have come at the cost of data integrity and patient safety, BMJ reports. A regional director who was employed at the research organization Ventavia Research Group has told the BMJ that the company falsified data, unblinded patients, employed inadequately trained vaccinators, and was slow to follow up on adverse events reported in Pfizer's pivotal phase three trial. Staff who conducted quality control checks were overwhelmed by the volume of problems they were finding, the report adds. After repeatedly notifying Ventavia of these problems, the regional director, Brooke Jackson, emailed a complaint to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Ventavia fired her later the same day. Jackson has provided the BMJ with dozens of internal company documents, photos, audio recordings, and emails. Brooke Jackson, the Ventavia research director who blew the whistle on Pfizer, had a sterling background at the clinical auditing firm when the decision was made to fire her. On its website, Ventavia calls itself the largest privately owned clinical research company in Texas and lists many awards it has won for its contract work, BMJ notes. But Jackson has told the BMJ that during the two weeks she was employed at Ventavia in September 2020, she repeatedly informed her superiors of poor laboratory management, patient safety concerns, and data integrity issues. Jackson was a trained clinical trial auditor who previously held a director of operations position and came to Ventavia with more than 15 years experience in clinical research coordination and management. Exasperated that Ventavia was not dealing with the problems, Jackson documented several matters late one night, taking photos on her mobile phone. The report noted one photo provided to the BMJ showed needles discarded in a plastic biohazard bag instead of a sharps container box. Another showed vaccine packaging materials with trial participants identification numbers written on them left out in the open, potentially unblinding participants. Ventavia executives later questioned Jackson for taking the photos. The BMJ investigation then notes that significant errors were being found during the clinical trials. In a recording of a meeting in late September 2020 between Jackson and two directors, a Ventavia executive can be heard explaining that the company wasn't able to quantify the types and numbers of errors they were finding when examining the trial paperwork for quality control, the report noted. In my mind, it's something new every day, a Ventavia executive says. We know that it's significant. Ventavia was not keeping up with data entry queries, shows an email sent by ICON, the contract research organization with which Pfizer partnered on the trial, the report added. The expectation for this study is that all queries are addressed within 24 hours, ICON reminded Ventavia in a September 2020 email. ICON then highlighted over a 100 outstanding queries older than three days in yellow, the report said. Examples included two individuals for which Subject has reported with severe symptoms or reactions. Per protocol, subjects experiencing grade three local reactions should be contacted. Please confirm if an unplanned contact was made and update the corresponding form as appropriate. The BMJ report also noted the deteriorating quality and quantity of FDA clinical trial audits, suggesting that the agency has been turning a blind eye to pharmaceutical companies and vaccine makers. A former Ventavia employee told the BMJ that the company was nervous and expecting a federal audit of its Pfizer vaccine trial, the report noted. 
People working in clinical research are terrified of FDA audits, Jill Fisher told the BMJ. I don't know why they're so afraid of them, she said. Fisher added about a complaint about serious side effects. You would think that if there's a specific incredible complaint that they would have to investigate that. In 2007, the Department of Health and Human Services Office of the Inspector General released a report on FDA's oversight of clinical trials conducted between 2000 and 2005, BMJ added as background. The report found that the FDA inspected only 1% of clinical trial sites. Inspections carried out by the FDA's vaccines and biologics branch have been decreasing in recent years, with just 50 conducted in the 2020 fiscal year. Brooke Jackson, who was fired for purportedly not being a good fit, listed a dozen issues with Pfizer's phase three clinical trials, including participants placed in a hallway after injection and not being monitored by clinical staff, lack of timely follow-up of patients who experienced adverse events, protocol deviations not being reported, vaccines not being stored at proper temperatures, mislabeled laboratory specimens, and targeting of Ventavia staff for reporting these types of problems. In Pfizer's briefing document submitted to an FDA advisory committee meeting held on 10 December 2020, to discuss Pfizer's application for emergency use authorization of its COVID-19 vaccine, the company made no mention of problems at the Ventavia site, the report noted. The next day, the FDA issued the authorization of the vaccine. So once again, we have an example of a long pattern of ignoring the problems with what they want to do. This shows blatant disregard for the integrity of their studies about a substance that they are desperately trying to inject into everyone. Hundreds of millions of people around the world, billions of people around the world. They want to get them all injected, but they don't care about the integrity of their study. What does that indicate? It indicates more than incompetence and irresponsibility. It shows a complete disregard for public health and public safety. And that's pretty bad when your entire narrative is just trust us. We're the experts. And what makes it so much worse and so much more damaging to society is that we are not allowed to draw any conclusions from this pattern of behavior. Unless we can prove exactly what they are doing beyond a shadow of a doubt to absolutely everybody in the party of false decorum. If you can't do that, then they will simply ignore you. It is not enough evidence for them, even though they have no evidence on their side. They are taking people's word for the safety and effectiveness of the vaccine. And for you to prove to them that taking those people's word is not a good idea. You have to give them arguments based on all of the terms that they have already accepted blindly. And even once you do that, they still won't buy it because they were given a narrative. They have decided to put their trust in these people. They have been told over and over and over and over and over again, trust the science, trust the experts and all their beliefs follow from trusting these people because they trust these people. They trust the studies that these people refer to. They don't read the studies, but they trust them. And they believe that there is no way that somebody like Anthony Fauci or Rochelle Walensky 
would ever subject her reputation or his reputation to lying about what these studies said. You can show them doing it and they won't believe it because they think that no one would ever do that. You can show a pattern of malicious disregard for what the actual data says and an obvious motivation to mislead the public. And that is not enough because they have chosen their team of experts and your team of experts is just you choosing to be on that side. It's not that your team of experts can actually cite chapter and verse of the data and show you what the data means and answer all your questions about the data in full, that's not a good enough reason. You're just choosing to go with the people that say the no-no things, and they're not those sorts of people. They're very responsible. So they are going to believe Anthony Fauci and Rochelle Walensky and the FDA and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and all of these morons who are obviously not interested in protecting the public health at all. Their interest is a much higher agenda. And on some level, they know what they're doing is tribal. They see alternate information as an intentional attack on their tribe rather than just information that they need to come to terms with to understand what's actually going on. And somewhere in their confused child brains, they think that it is more responsible to be loyal to their tribe than to see whether or not the no-no people might have a good point. I don't understand how many times these people need to run into brick walls with the direction they're going before they realize that someone is steering them the wrong way on purpose. How many times can you be wrong? And the thing is, so many of them are content with the delay in information. Oh, we'll just, we'll just wait, you know, maybe in six months or 12 months, once they really prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Anthony Fauci's wrong, maybe then I'll consider it. But it's kind of even worse than that, man, because now they've been proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that Anthony Fauci funded experiments that tortured animals and grafted aborted fetal tissue onto mice and lab rats and that still doesn't get them to the point where they are willing to think, oh, maybe this guy's not that trustworthy. And this is the price we pay for making people sound responsible. It sounds responsible to go with whatever the CDC says, because these people believe this stuff is actually too complicated for normal people to understand. Turns out it isn't. Normal people can understand when they're being lied to. Normal people can read the study that I just read part of to you all and understand that the study doesn't say what Rochelle Walensky says it does say. Normal people can understand that if the pharma company that stands to make tens of billions of dollars is acting in a way that destroys the integrity of their studies, perhaps you shouldn't inject what they tell you to inject into your body or into your kid's body. Normal people can understand that. It actually isn't that complicated. And normal people should be able to understand that when they say two weeks to slow the spread, 
And we are 20 months later and they are talking about potential lockdowns in, by the way, they're doing it right now in parts of China. If you don't think that's coming back around during this dark winter, I don't know what you've been paying attention to. Two weeks to slow the spread. And a portion of our society is still listening to the same people. I'm the irresponsible one. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcouture.com. You can also go direct to that at shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time out on the range. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range.
It's hell!